Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. Pastor Paul continues his new series on big questions that need answered this week with a question, does God love me? Let's listen in as he preaches from John chapter 3, verse 16, and answers this question. Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. If you've checked your kids in already, just send them on and uh, they're ready to go. If you haven't checked in, make sure you take them down, check them in, and that way we can make sure you get your kid when uh, Children's Church is over. Let me also remind you that every Thursday morning at 6 a.m., I pray with anybody who would like to pray via Zoom, and so what you need to do to get the link to Zoom with me is to text the word prayer to the number that is now on your screen, and you will get a text message that has not only that link, but occasionally we send out reminders to pray and some encouragement to pray, and so I invite you to, to do that. Uh, I am uh, in John chapter 3. This morning is where I'm going to start out. Before I get to John chapter 3, I just need to say a special uh, thank you this morning to Callie Gibbler. Callie is up in the, in the no, she's not. She's, she's down below working or somewhere in the sanctuary that I don't see her. Uh, Callie, if you see Callie today, uh, just say a word of thank you. For the last four plus years, she has stepped in and run our children's ministry. She has been our children's ministry director. Before that, she was uh, coordinating our nursery care. She's continued to coordinate our nursery care. And uh, uh, as of this month, she's stepping away from both of those roles. And so I just wanted to say a special word of thank you to, to Callie for her dedication, her service, her creativity. Um, she has led our kids just with incredible, incredible work. There she is over there, but I'm not going to make you come up, but I will just say thank you. Again, uh, for your creativity, your dedication, you have made a difference in the lives of kids in our valley, and, and I praise God for you, and thank you for you, thank God for you. I know that you're going to find ways to, to advance the kingdom uh, using, using the gifts that God's given you, and I look forward to seeing it, and I'm excited to see how God directs you in this next phase of ministry in your life, so God bless you, Callie, thank you. Uh, okay, this week I am answering, well, this season I'm trying to answer some questions. I'm trying to answer some questions that matter, some questions that maybe we don't always ask in church. We might be afraid to ask or we might think, well, everybody kind of agrees with the, these questions, right, with the answers we have to these questions, right? So why would we be even asking these questions? Last week I looked at the question, does God exist? Does God even exist? And I gave a few reasons last week why I think it is reasonable to believe that God exists. I think that we have good reason as believers in the God of the Bible to believe that, that God exists, that there is a creator behind all of this, that there is a God who loves us in, in this world. And so we were looking at that kind of very first elementary question that we have. And, and then this week, I'm looking at a question that maybe it's, it's a next step question. If maybe you, you believe that God exists, but you're just not, you don't know. You don't know uh, about everything about God or everything the Bible says about God. So the question this week is, does God love me? Does, does God love you? Is, is God Maybe, maybe there is a creator behind all of this. Maybe we're convinced that there is a hand that put all that is together. Maybe we're convinced by just the simple fact that there is something and not nothing, that there must be something greater 
that exists. But does that thing, does whatever exists really, is it, does it really love us? Does it really care about humans? Does it really think that much about, about people? And, and so that's kind of the question I'm, I'm looking at today. And, and I'm going to be looking from a biblical perspective because that's like what I do. That's, that's what I know. And I'll just be honest, from, from a biblical perspective, if you're looking just at the Bible, like it's an open and shut case. Like God loves you. Like you, the, the Bible just, it doesn't, it doesn't leave wiggle room for, for believing in the God of the Bible, like the God that is revealed to us in the Old Testament through, through his interaction with the nation of Israel and the God who is revealed to us by the person of Jesus, that God loves us. And, and there's really no, no two ways about it. There's no arguing with scripture on that one. And, and so one of the key verses of scripture that we find that points us to this reality that God loves us and, and teaches us that God loves us it is really a statement that could be like the thesis statement of the entire Bible. This is the, the verse that is really kind of on this truth. All of scripture is, is like pointing to this, this reality. It's found in John chapter 3. It's as, as uh, the book of John is this book about the life of Jesus. It's chronicling the story of Jesus. Jesus is having a conversation with a religious leader who is trying to figure out why people are so attracted to Jesus. He wants to know, who is this Jesus? He's got a big following that are, people are following him all over the place. This religious leader wants to know, like, what is going on with this guy Jesus? And so Jesus uh, tells the man in the middle of this, in John chapter 3, verse 16, in the middle of this conversation, Jesus says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is, this is the, the statement of God's love for us. God's love for us is such that God would give his only son to show his love, to demonstrate his love. God loves us so much. God wants a relationship with us so much that God would give his love for us. And this, we, we don't believe that this is just like God's love for the planet. Like it starts, God, this is God's love for the world, right? We don't believe that God just loves like the seas and the rocks and the flowers and the birds so much. We don't, we don't even believe that it's just that God loves so many individuals so much. Like it's just the special ones that God loves so much. God loves everyone, everyone enough that God would send his only son to die for us as a sacrifice for us to be in relationship with us. If, and, uh, and this is kind of the central belief of Christianity. But when we talk about God's love for us, there's, there, there are a couple of objections that come up. There are immediately a couple of thoughts that come into our mind that make us say, really, God's love for me? Like, really, does, does God really love me? And so this morning, I'm going to look at two objections that people might have to thinking that God loves them. Like two reasons you might be saying, yeah, God's love for other people, not for me. And the first objection I think people have to the idea that God loves them is, is to say, well, yeah, God loves people. God loves other people. <laughs> God loves other people 
God loves really religious people. God loves pastors, you know. God loves pastors, of course. God loves, you know, nuns and monks and priests and really religious people. God loves a few churchy people. God maybe rolls the divine eyes occasionally at religious people, but God loves them. God loves, loves like really churchy people, but God doesn't really love sinful people. God couldn't love me because I'm too sinful. God can't love me because I'm, God doesn't love people that have real stuff going on in their lives is the way this objection sounds. Or maybe it comes in different flavors. Like some people might say, I don't even know if I believe God exists. How could God love me? Like I, I'm not even sure that I, I am ready to say there is a God. How could, how could God love me? Some people may say, God wants to love me, but I'm just not going to live for God. I'm, I, can't, I can't be that good. I, I, there's, too much, there's too much in my life. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lovable by God because of, of what I'm doing or how I'm living. Some people might say, I'm just a sinner. I'm just too much of a sinner. Like, if you really knew, Pastor Paul, if you really knew the depths of my heart, if you really knew how dark things are inside... You, you would know that God can't love me. Or some people say, you know, everyone who has said they love me has bailed. Everyone who has, has been supposed to love me in my life has let me down. And so frankly, just don't tell me about another one who loves me. Another one who's just going to let me down. And as a pastor, I have had lots of opportunities to be in conversation with people who, who are certain that God doesn't love them. They're certain that God doesn't love them so much that if they showed up to church on a Sunday morning, lightning would strike the building, right? I, I, have, I have witnessed people literally fearful walking into a church building for a funeral of a loved one. Because they're certain that they are so sinful, so bad, so wrong, that the building's probably going to collapse. Or they're probably going to be struck dead just because they've walked into to this holy place. As a pastor, I often am a stand-in for God in people's experience. <laughs> and so, like, people, people don't swear in front of me or they apologize when they say a swear word to me, like, in front of me. Uh, as if they're like angering God when they say it in front of me, which is hilarious. Like maybe they are, but they shouldn't apologize to me, right? Like uh, that's just a funny thing to me that happens in my life. But there are, there are a lot of people in this world who feel as if their life just disqualifies them from, from God's love. And so this morning, if you feel like you are unlovable because of, of whatever's happened in your life or whatever is happening in your life, I don't know if I can convince you in, in the next half hour that God loves you. My goal this morning is not to, to convince you 100%. My goal is to just get you to doubt your doubt a little bit, to just get you to think maybe there's a chance, maybe there's a chance that God could love even me. Maybe there's a chance that it's, God loves even people like me. And so the, the way that, I mean, the, the way that we understand God's love is through the person of Jesus. Jesus is like the clearest picture of, of God's love 
ever expressed in, in the history of the world. There has never been a clearer picture of God's love in the world than the person of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we're kind of like sold on that truth. We, 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 we call ourselves Christian, that's like little Christ. Like we, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be people because we believe that there has been no better expression through all of, of human history to the world of God's love than Jesus himself. So this morning, I'm going to ask you if, you if you'll just consider with me some of the types of people that Jesus showed love to in the Bible. In the Gospels, we get these stories of Jesus showing love to people who religious people, the rest of the world, like really maybe didn't deem worthy of God's love. There's a story in John chapter 4, just the next story over, of Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman at a well. Samaritans were like the enemies of the Jews, God's people. They were looked down on, they were, they were just sinful because they were. <laughs> they, they didn't need to do anything to be bad, they were just bad. And, and this woman who Jesus meets at the well in the middle of the day, has been through five husbands at this point in the story. Five different men have either left her or she's been widowed um, multiple times. Everybody who has said that they love her has failed her. She's now living with a man who's not her husband, who probably doesn't want to, to risk his own reputation to take her as a wife, and so she's, she's living with this guy because otherwise she would be destitute in her culture. And, and she, she is convinced that she is unworthy of love. She goes to the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be seen by other people. And she happens to see Jesus. Jesus shows her love. Jesus has a conversation with her as if she is a human being worthy of human contact. Jesus sees her as worthy to be a person who tells other people about him. And he tells her to go into the village and, and tell people about him. And, and she goes, and the whole village, everybody in her town wants to know about Jesus because of what she says about Jesus. Jesus loves her. A few chapters later in the, the book of John, in John chapter 8, there's a story of a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. She, I have to imagine, she, she thought she had blown any chance of being loved by God at this point. Like, her sin had been in private <laughs> for a moment. And suddenly, she's thrust into the public square. She's being used as a pawn in this game between Jesus and some religious leaders that wanted to catch him saying something wrong. And she is thrust in, into the public eye, being told, telling the whole community, this woman is, is so sinful, we've brought her. She needs to be stoned according to our law, but before she's stoned, we're going to use her as a pawn in this religious game we're playing. And Jesus looks at her and says, well, yeah, she, she's supposed to be stoned, but anybody here who has never sinned can throw the first stone, and, and the religious leaders walk away, Jesus says, does anybody condemn you? They're all gone, Jesus. Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Jesus loves this woman. In talking about this story, my friend Hal Perkins tells the story 
of when he was a boy and he took his sack of marbles to church. He grew up in Montana in a little country church that had a sloped wooden floor. He brought his marbles to church and in, in the middle of the sermon, he was playing with his marbles in, in the church and he lost them. And you could hear through the whole church the rumble of marbles tinkling down the wooden floor until the last one got to the very front. And the pastor was not very pleased <laughs> with this young boy. And he knew who had dropped the marbles. He stared, he, he bore his eyes into how. In that moment of public shame and humiliation, of being the sinner who brought his toy to church, Hal feels the arm of his father around him. That's what Jesus does to, to this woman. He blew it, but I don't condemn you either. Just let's hold on to the marbles a little bit better next time, Hal. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a story of a man who has completely lost control. He's demon-possessed. It says he has a legion of demons in him. And I bring this up because what, we don't talk about demon possession much, and I, I don't know that I don't know that we're right or wrong on, on that. But in our culture, we struggle with things that we lose control over. We struggle with addictions. We struggle with temptation and darkness in our heart that we can't explain and we don't feel like we have any control over it. We struggle with with things that just seem to take us in directions that, that we can't explain. And, and other than saying we can't control it, I don't know it, that I can say much more. And I'm not ready to call all of these things demon possession, but I, I am ready to admit that in this world, there are things in our lives that we just we can't stop. We can't say no to, and, and they get out of hand. Jesus loves this man who is out of his mind, under, under oppression from this thing he cannot control anymore. He's literally like breaking chains from the people who are trying to help him, trying to subdue him so he could be in his right mind. Jesus looks at him, says he, even he is worthy of love. And Jesus loves him by delivering him from the thing that he can't control anymore in his life. There's another man, the story's in Mark chapter 4. It's not him who has a demon, it's his son. Mark chapter 4, verses 14 and following. The man is certain that Jesus could heal his son, but he just, he knows it, but he can't, he can't get it down into his heart. He can't believe it. And he comes to Jesus with his son, and in the midst of, of having a conversation with Jesus about his son's condition, his son goes into a fit. Jesus reads the situation really quickly, and it says, Mark tells us, before it could cause a scene, Jesus heals the son. In the midst of all of it happening, 
The man says, I believe, please help my unbelief. Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23, he looks down at the soldiers who had nailed his hands and his feet to the wood. They're getting ready to gamble for his one article of clothing that was left to his name as he went to the cross. There are crowds gathering, people that are there to just sneer. There's even another thief on one of the crosses next to Jesus, Luke tells us, that, uh, that mocks Jesus from the cross. In, in the midst of that terrible scene, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In that moment, Jesus shows love to people who are actively killing him. After Jesus' crucifixion in John chapter 21, Jesus encounters his disciple John. John, on the night before Jesus was crucified, as Jesus is going through trial, like, like literal, like legal trial, uh, some people ask John, I'm sorry, it's in the book of John, it, the disciple is Peter. <laughs> some people ask Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you one of the, the guys that hung out with, with Jesus? Peter says, no, I didn't even know him. Three times. And in John chapter 21, Jesus gently restores Peter. He loves him, even after having denied knowing him in the hardest moment of his life. Jesus loves doubters and deniers and sinners, those who can't believe that anyone would love them. Jesus loves people who have completely lost control of their own lives. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves people who, who don't think they're worthy of, of his love. God loves people in spite of all of the disqualifying reasons we think we have for saying that God doesn't love me. But Jesus also loves like the religious zealots. <laughs> John 3.16, this is in the context of Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus. He's a member of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the group that Jesus has the harshest words for. People that tie up heavy burdens on other people and don't do anything to help them. Religious hypocrites. Here, under the cover of night, Jesus meets with, with Nicodemus. And he, he has this incredible conversation. He, he says at one point, like, you're a teacher of the religious law. You ought to know this kind of stuff by now. But in spite of that, Jesus, Jesus loves Nicodemus. Jesus meets him right there and talks to him, tries to help him understand. Jesus loves people. And you, you may be saying, that's, that's nice. Like, obviously, the, the Bible makes some pretty interesting arguments about how Jesus loves people. That's an interesting, interesting thing that you're saying about Jesus loving people. But, you know, that was when Jesus was walking the earth, Pastor Paul, he might be saying. And, and now we are left without Jesus walking the earth. And it appears as, now, as though now we have a much more cold and distant and remote God um, 
who is waiting to strike us dead if, if we show up to church with the wrong attitude in our hearts. I don't have a good answer for you, frankly. I, I just have to go back to the, the truth that Jesus is the best picture of God we know. It's the best picture of God we know. Jesus isn't just really good PR for a grumpy God. Like Jesus is God in the flesh. God come to earth. Jesus isn't, isn't like the special loving edition, like the special Valentine's Day edition of God. Like Jesus is, is God, is fully God, is all God. And so God's, God's love for us is revealed in Jesus. God's love for us is about God's character. It's not about the character of the people God loves. God's, God's love is, is just because God is a loving God. And it may be hard for us to wrap our minds around and hard for us to understand. God loves you as much as God, just like God loves your enemy. God, God loves you, and, and God loves the people who make it hard for you to believe that God loves you. God loves you regardless of what you think you've done to lose God's love. God loves you even when you think you are disqualified from being loved by anyone, let alone God. God loves you even if, uh, if the, everyone who has said that they love you has turned their back on you. God loves you even if those who were supposed to love you have been cold or distant or outright hostile. God loves you. You are lovable to God. Well, that's the first objection is just that, you know, we're sinners, we're not worthy of God's love. Um, the second objection I think people might have to this idea that God loves them is to say that, that maybe, maybe God exists, maybe there is a God who created, but the, the experience I have had in this life it just doesn't reveal a loving God. Life is too hard. Life is too hard for there to be a God who loves me. They, people experience hardship and loss and trouble. And if God is behind any of that, it feels like there can't be, be a loving God. If God could have possibly stopped it and didn't, that sure doesn't seem like love from God. Uh, I've listened to a handful of interviews from people. One stands out in particular, a celebrity whose father died when he was 11. He said, there can't be a God that would let that happen. You know, the first Christian response to this is to listen and to empathize. Uh, I, I can't listen to every story, but man, I would love to hear your story of, of what's happened if, if you have a story and an experience that has made you question if God loves you out. See, that's what Jesus does. There's this great story in, in John's gospel, John chapter 11. Jesus arrives two days after Lazarus, his friend, has died. He meets his, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and they say, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus listens and he hears, and, and Jesus cries with them. Jesus wept. He's right there. 
This is right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus isn't like really sad over the fact that Lazarus is dead because he knows that he is going to raise him. Jesus, I don't think that Jesus like just reacts out of his out of his sorrow and raises Lazarus from the dead. I I think Jesus is just providing the truth that here he is. He mourns with those who mourn. He weeps with those who weep. I think Jesus is giving us an example when we encounter people struggling, struggling to believe that that, uh, God loves them through the difficulty of their circumstances. And, and then I think the next Christian response, after we have listened and we have, we have heard people's sorrow, we've acted like Jesus in that way, I think the, the next Christian response to this idea that life is so hard, I don't believe that God could love me, is, is to go to Scripture and, and find the reality that God expects these two things that seem contradictory to be true. God loves us. Scripture says it without a shadow of a doubt. Difficulties in life come. Scripture tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt. God loves us. Difficulties come. These two things coexist in this world for now. It's it's the, the, the reality we live in. And so Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus tells them, There will be difficulty in this life. God's love for us in spite of the hardships is a theme that comes out in the New Testament. A passage that I repeat frequently from this pulpit is Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Can anything separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute? or in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the reasons I love this passage so much is because it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome as they were experiencing hunger, destitution, persecution, danger, being threatened by death, even being killed, handed over to death like lambs being led to the slaughter. They they were worried about the powers of hell separating them, like literally they were being ripped apart. They They were being dragged into arenas, not quite yet in those days. They were they were being stoned for their belief. They were being crucified for their belief in Jesus. Christians were experiencing all the things that Paul talks about possibly separating us from the love of God. And Paul says, no. Paul, Paul writes this because the believers were probably asking the very question. 
How can it be that God loves us and we're hungry and persecuted and in danger all the time? How could it possibly be? Paul says, I understand the question. I, I know you have the question. I, I hear the question. In spite of all of it, though, the, I know the truth that God still loves you. There is nothing, none of that can separate you from the truth that God still loves you. One more biblical argument I would make for, for believing that God loves us uh, comes from the book of Psalms, and it's a mathematical argument. So this might be, this might be different for people like, I know there's people who like, you know, like, emotional arguments. There's people who like mathematical arguments. Here's a mathematical argument. The mathematical argument is 65 out of 150. 65 out of 150. In the book of Psalms, 65 of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament. Psalm, psalms of lament say, how long, O Lord, how long? Why, God? Is it still taking so long for you to react. Do you still love me, God? Because this is really hard. 65 out of, out of 150. Not quite half, but more than a third. The book of Psalms is written from the real experience of human beings, reminding us that you know, 65 out of, out of 150, I hope you're doing better than 65 out of 150. But but 65 out of 150 of the Psalms ask the question, how long, Lord? Why? Why does it feel like you don't love me, God, if you, if you really do love me? When is it going to end? When are you going to show up? The Psalms of Lament are often Psalms of faith, too. The Psalms of Lament often turn, and, and the psalmist goes back to, I know you will work, God. But the Psalms remind us that God can handle our, our feeling unloved. God can handle our strong emotions, our strong feelings that God doesn't love us. And so I don't, I don't know what you've been through. I'm, I'm sure that I, I can't begin to fathom the depth of the pain that you've been through. I, I doubt I have any words that that could bring much comfort. If you're, if you're feeling like life has just been too hard to believe that God loves me, I, I would love to listen to your story, but I doubt that I can offer much comfort. I will still be convinced that God loves you because I believe that Scripture shows us these two things live in tension in this world. God loves us. Difficulties come know if God could actually love me. I don't know that God actually does love me. And if you're not asking the question now, just wait. <laughs> life, life throws a lot at us. I hope, I hope that maybe the Lord would just use some of the scripture to, to remind you of the truth, to remind you that God does even if it's just like that you would doubt a little bit your certainty that God doesn't love you, that, that you would be able to, to believe just a little bit more that God does love you. Now this morning, I'm going to 
group of, of mature Christians who have been through some ebbs and flows and believing that God loves you. You've been through some ups and downs. You've been through moments of just being 100% confident, moments of, of just kind of wondering. And so for, for you who, who have walked that path, um, I just encourage you to, to be a reminder in this world of what scripture tells us, that God does love us. Uh, we, we can speak the, the words of Scripture to people, and, and Scripture is powerful. Like, God, God's Word speaks, I think. I, I think Romans 8, like, man, those are powerful words to me. Those are powerful words to folks going through all those calamities that God still loves them. The words of Scripture will often ring a little truer when it comes from people who are showing the kind of love that God offers. When, when we show love that is patient and kind, when, when our love keeps no record of wrong, and doesn't seek its own, when our love celebrates uh, in the good and it refuses to rejoice in evil, that's when God's love for people rings true through us. And, and we can show that kind of love because God has expressed that love to us. We, we experience it in order to, to live it out in our world. And so may we go from this place as people who are reminders of God's love for them. May you be the reason, this week, may you be the reason that someone else believes that God loves them. May we know that God loves us. May we be utterly convinced of it. And may we, may we be challenged to share that love with the world around us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you because you love us. We thank you. We, we can scarcely imagine it. Uh, we don't feel particularly worthy of it all the time. Uh, but we know that that doesn't really matter. Uh, that you're, you're not loving us because we are worthy. You're loving us because of who you are. And so, God, when we feel particularly unworthy, would you remind us of your willingness to restore us and to remake us? Your willingness to work in our hearts and in our lives? Uh, but that you love us even before you do the work, Lord. You love us right where we are. Right where we are, you love us, Lord. Even, even with things we can't control in our lives, Lord, like when things are out of control, you still love us. You still love us, God. We can always come to you. We're always going to find that arm around us. We're always going to find welcome in your presence. We're always going to find your patience and your kindness. We're always going to find that love that keeps no record of wrong. And so, God, we pray that you would just remind us each day this week of how much you love us. And then, Lord, would you give us the strength, the vision, and the wisdom to be the type of people who show your love to others. Lord, 
would you use us to be the reason that somebody this week believes that you love them? That's a pretty bold ask, God. Frankly, like, your love is pretty great to be shown through, through me. And so, God, we, we need the power of your Spirit working in us so that we could just, in whatever feeble ways we have, whatever little things we can do, God, would you use us? God, would you, would you let us be your expression of love to a coworker, to a family member, to a friend, to a neighbor? Lord, would you, would you make us a reminder of your love to somebody this week? Well, we're probably not going to convince anybody uh, very quickly, but Lord, your work in us is, is the best hope we have. And so, Lord, guide us and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the First NAS podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.